0: Welcome to Friendship with God. I'm David Cantor, and today my father Tom Cantor will bring us another message from the Word of God. Today's message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Well, praise the Lord! Thanks, uh, thanks to everyone for this conference, especially for Gary for the conference on Jewish evangelism. What a great title for a conference! And especially with the thought of the Holocaust, which brings a, a needed sobriety to it all. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Father, we come to you this morning as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, we need your sight. We need your sight to see the disaster of your people, the Jewish people. Lord, we need your care. We need your care to care for your people, the, the Jewish people, Lord, and where they're going to spend eternity. Lord, we need your broken heart, Lord, to, to see them as lost. And Lord, we need your, your, your boldness, your chutzpah boldness to do all we can to reach them before it's too late. Help us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now let me, I'm going to ask you a question. As you know, the title this, this, uh, today is... Uh, uh, Jewish evangelism, why and how? And so let me just start off with that question. It's a question that, that that they always ask too. Let me ask that question to you today. Why do we go to the Jewish people? I mean, why don't we just leave them alone? Hasn't it been long enough? I mean, after all, isn't that what they want us to do? Don't they want us just to leave them alone? Just to, just to leave them there? I mean, here's what our people are saying. They say, and if you haven't heard this, you, you, you for sure would say, so for thousands of years, you know, with the Pauls and the Crusaders and the Inquisitioners and the Martin Luthers, everyone's trying to convert us, they say. Everyone's trying to get us to just abandon our religion. Everyone's trying to get us to just stop being Jews. In your evangelism, it's just nothing more than an attempt to exterminate us as Jews. Like that lady told David Brickner when she met her on the street, the Holocaust survivor, and she said to him, you're just trying to finish the work that Hitler began. Cutting words. Terrible. So, you know, why don't we just listen to them? That's what they want us to do. I mean, after all, what kind of people are we Anyway. I mean, you're trying to convert me. And you're just it's, it's just a continuation of the Holocaust. I mean, I mean, for the sake of the Holocaust, stop trying to convert us. That's what they say. Isn't the message clear to us? They don't want our Christianity. They don't want our God. They don't want our religion. They don't want our Messiah. They want us to leave them alone. Like a dear. Uh lost Israeli friend of mine one time we were having dinner together and I was pleading with him to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and he just stopped and he glared at me. Didn't say a word. And what he did is he took his hand and he like drew a line across the table like he was making a wall. Israelis are very good at making walls. Just made this wall. And he just looked at me. He didn't have to say a word because the words came across. Look, you stay on your side and I'll stay on my side. Just respect my space. Man, that's the message. Well, why don't we respect their space? Why don't we? It's a, like my, my uh, dear friend, an Orthodox Jewish friend, and after spending a day with him, presenting the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he's the remedy for their sins, he went home, and after he told his wife, he wrote me a letter and said, We are infuriated at you because you made overtures to me. He said, Overtures. Why do we make these overtures to their souls? I mean, after all, Christianity, as they call it, is a new religion, relatively new religion. They said, look, you know, Judaism is is 2,000 years older. Why can't you respect our ancient religion? It makes me happy. I'm glad you're happy. I am happy. I am happy, they say, I'm on, on, on Shabbat, I'm happy. Our family dresses in white. We, we sing, we eat, we have a wonderful time. You don't do that. We just think it's just so wonderful to be Jewish. You're happy, I'm happy for you. Why don't you just leave us alone in our happiness? Why do you have to share your faith like you got this bag of M&M's and, and you know, I, mean, I don't like M&M's. Quit trying to give me your M&M's. Or like my cousin says, oh, don't start with the hell, the fire, the brimstone. Oh, Tommy, do we have to talk about Jesus again? Do we have to talk? I know he died for my sins, Tommy. Why can't we just be friends? Why can't we be friends? I mean, don't we realize it's threatening our relationships with them to bring up such a subject? Well, that's the subject of today's talk. Jewish evangelism. Why? And how? Why Jewish evangelism? It's because of what we know. Because of what we know. We know the reality of what is not seen. We know the reality of heaven and hell. Because we, we heard when God spoke through Daniel... Not Daniel alone. That was God speaking through Daniel in Daniel chapter 3. And when when we read these words, this was like, this is not religion. This is reality. And many of them, Daniel wrote, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. You know, not like my, my, my grandfather, the Orthodox rabbi, who established the only synagogue even today in Petersburg, Virginia. So what happened was, here he was, uh, a hundred years ago, established the synagogue for the Jewish people there, had the, only, had the congregation of the Jewish people, and he was in his, he was both the cantor and the rabbi, the cantor wasn't a hard job for him to get with his name. He's on his deathbed. Can you picture the scene? He's in his bedroom dying. And, the, and the, the, there's like a million of men around him from the synagogue. And a, a knock comes at the door. And so my grandmother goes. She answers the door. She comes into the bedroom. Everybody is, yeah, so? She says, your friend the Catholic priest is at the door. She says, She says, You know your friend, the Catholic priest? You know, as far as the minion of men, it might as she might have well said Adolf Hitler's at the door. And so she says, he he says, yeah? He says, he wants to come in. Why does he want to come in? Because he says he he wants to sprinkle holy water on you and give you your last rites. This, all right, so, so, so here they are. Here's the minion of men. They're, they're saying that all the focus is on their spiritual leader, the rabbi, the cantor. He's lying there in bed. So take a stand. And you know what he said? Let him come in. Everybody's in shock. They all look at him like, What? What? Nobody says a word. He looks up to the men in the synagogue and he says, because when you're dead, you're dead. That's not true. That's not true at all. That's not what Daniel said. That's not what God taught through Daniel. It's not when you're dead, you're dead. When you're dead, you awake. That's just a temporary sleep. And so we know that's true. You know, when you look at Luke 16, there's an account there of a rich man. Now, we don't have to plug in the fact that he was a Jewish man because that's all he's talking to. And it says there, And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died. We could plug in. The rich Jewish man also died and was buried. And in hell, it says, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and and saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham... Have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good evil, good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, there between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which pass From hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee. This is the rich Jewish man that's in hell in torments. He said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. He said, you know, he's a better evangelist than we are. He says, go, send him, send him, send him. He said, For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, no, 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 no. He says, No, 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 Father Abraham, something more. He says, But if one went from the dead, he said, That would do it. I'm sure that would do it. If they one went, they would repent, would turn around. And he said unto them, "If If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, he said, though one rose from the dead. Because we know not only the reality of heaven and hell, and we know that, but we know how to get to heaven. Remember what the Lord Jesus Christ said to the the Gentile woman? He says, you worship, you know not what? We know. We know. We know what? We know that when, when, when the terrible disaster of the death of the firstborn was going to occur in Egypt, that Moses says, listen up everyone, I'm going to give you explicit instructions. There's no deviation from this. You must. And he gave out God's plan of salvation. A lamb. A keeping of the lamb for three days. A, an inspection of the lamb. A killing of the lamb. A collection of the blood. A painting the door post and the lintel with the blood in the shape of a cross and you and he said when you do this God says when I see the blood I'll pass over you somebody could have said there says you know what that's just too narrow I mean a little bit of tolerance if you don't mind I'm an Egyptian Ah, we have the sun god didn't matter I'm of a newer persuasion I'll meditate my way through this calamity death in the home There was a way. And Moses, and it says that when they also left Egypt, it says there was a great mixed multitudes. There were some Gentiles that said, we ain't no fool. Even the magicians said, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, don't you see? He's destroyed the land. There was one way. So was it any surprise that when the Lord Jesus Christ came as God in the flesh, after the flesh, that he came and he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one. No one, no Reformed Jew, no Conservative Jew, no Orthodox Jew, no Kabodnik, no nothing, no Jewish person, atheist, or secular can come to the Father except by me. We know that. And so what does that cause us to do? In 2 Corinthians 3.12, it says, seeing then that we have such hope. Paul says, such hope. What do we do? We use great hope plainness of speech. Not complicated, but very, very plain, as in crystal clear plain. Because we know this, we also know the essentiality of receiving Him, not just as Messiah, but as God. That's absolutely essential. He said that in John 8, 24. He said, I said therefore unto you, you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am or that I am the I am. You shall die in your sins. You know the great thing about the centurion who came to him with the sick servant? was a wonderful thing. And Rabbi Jesus didn't let that opportunity pass. Here he is teaching his, his Jewish uh, disciples. And here comes, whoa, this is uh, you know, like, a, like a Nazi. The centurion comes. And he, and he says, and when Jesus was entering the Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord... Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Man has a heart for a servant. Jesus say unto him, I'll come and heal him. The centurion answers, Lord. Second time he calls him Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only. Oh, those words. Speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed, for I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. I say to this man, go he goeth, to that man come he cometh, to my servant do this and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. One of the few times when it says Jesus marveled. You know what another time was? The unbelief of Capernaum. But he marveled at this point. And he said, soldier, stand there at attention. And then he turns, Rabbi Jesus turns to his, his, his Jewish disciples, and, and he, he addresses them. And he says, I have not found so great faith, great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you, as a result of that, he said, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and from the west this man's representing the east and the west and she'll sit down with abraham isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven but the children of the kingdom he said sh- shall be cast what a word is cast you, know, you take you take a piece of paper you don't want anymore that's cast that's my message too <coughs> All right, he said, "Cast." He says, "Cast into into outer darkness, a darkness that could be felt when it came on Egypt, a darkness that had to be separated during Creation Week from the light. Outer darkness where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth." And Jesus said to the centurion, "Now finish teaching now, Rabbi Jesus, with your Jewish disciples here. Okay, soldier, at ease." Go home, he says, your servants go. What was so great about his faith? Speak the word only. What was he saying? I believe Genesis 1 3 Viomir Elohim. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. I believe that. He said, Not only do I believe Genesis 1 3, I believe. You're the one who said it. I believe that. You are the one who said, because you spoke the word only and there was light. And you speak the word only. And when he said that, the Lord Jesus Christ turned to his disciples and he said, I haven't found that kind of faith. The essentiality of seeing him for who he is, God. We know that. And we further know that time is short. Time is very, very short. We don't have much time left. Some dear friends, uh, Avi and Tammy, they're uh, Israelis and uh and uh, it's kind of interesting about uh, Tammy's father. His name was Simon Wasserman, and he was um, he was born in in um, in uh, Berlin. To his uh, his father was a shochet like my grandfather was, and and um, was uh, uh, they had a uh, nice life. They had a nice house. They were in Berlin, and anyway, and uh, so what happened was that uh, Simon had uh, a brother and two sisters. So the sister marries this radical Zionist. And they moved to Palestine. They moved to the, just, to, you know, something like Beatniks did or something like that. I mean, it's crazy. Swamps, malaria from Berlin, all of them. Anyway, so they went down there. Well, Simon became very interested in Adolf Hitler and started to read everything he could get that Adolf Hitler wrote. And he was reading Mein Kampf, and he comes to the, to the conclusion, i got to get out of here. This is very bad. Bad things are going to happen for the Jewish people. So in 1932... He applies, like his sister, to go join his sister and brother-in-law down there in Israel to the British. And the British said, Jews. Ah, oh, no more Jews. We've got so many Jews here. No more Jews. They're just a big problem. You see But, 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 we have a new technology down there of elevators. Now, if you're an elevator technician, that's a different story. So he goes and enrolls in the Berlin Technical Institute, gets his certificate to be an uh, elevator technician, applies again. They let him in. He comes into Israel there, he's together, and everything is wonderful. He meets Tammy's uh, mother on the beach of Tel Aviv, and, and what could be better? They're pioneers down there, and it's, it's so, so exciting. Everything's wonderful. Then he gets a letter. He gets. By the way, he left when Hitler became chancellor. He gets a letter, and it's from Berlin. Oh, wonderful, from my family. This is in 1938. And he opens up the letter. It's not from his family. It's from his, his, his Gentile friend. Oh, he says, my dear Simon, he writes, my dear Simon, I have risen very high in the SS. I'm a very high-ranking Gestapo here in Berlin. And he says, and I'm holding in my hand a list of Jews to be murdered. And I see on this list, your mother's name, your father's name, your sister's name, and your brother's name. And he writes to me, he says, because you're my dear friend, the second page of this letter is a two-week pass. With this pass, you can come into Germany, no one will touch you. You can come to Berlin, no one will touch you. You can go to your house, and you can take your mother and father and brother and sister out of here. You can save them. Okay. So now Simon goes and he shows his his friends and his his wife the letter. What do you think they said? You out of your mind? Do you even think about it? It says, you want to walk right into the lion's mouth? So Simon, you get to border of Germany. They take your piece of paper away and you're in a cattle car that we heard about like everybody else. Then what, Simon? So he says, okay, I won't go. But then he's looking in the mirror. He can't stand it. He says to himself, should not one soul risk his life for four? And he says, I don't care what you say, I'm going. And so he went, and the pass worked. Nobody took the pass away. Nobody took him in cattle cars. He got into Germany. He went to Berlin. He got to his family's house. He got to his mother, his father, his brother and sister. were all there after the happy reunion. And he says, you got to go. Look at the letter. You're going to be murdered. You got to go. What do you think they said? Simon, we're Germans. Simon, this Hitler is temporary. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, he's going to be gone. He said, we'll get through this. No, no, we're, this, is, this is a civilized, ca- Simon, death camps. Did you see them, Simon? Did you see the so-called extermination camps? Simon, don't talk anymore like that. Oh, your friend, who's the Gestapo? Simon, he's a thief. Look at our house here, Simon. Look at everything in it. He wants it all. He just wants us to leave so he could confiscate everything. So much for your friend. And for two weeks, he begs, he pleads, he cries, he does everything he can, and he left empty, and they were murdered. We we know. What was it that caused Simon Wasserman to do that? Because he knew because he knew the rich man the rich jewish man that's in hell and every jewish person who's died without the lord jesus christ you know what they know it's too late but they know and we know and it's not too late that's the issue now tom the subject of the holocaust is so dramatic that just the word elicits powerful emotions In short, what do you think is the most valuable lesson that we can learn from the Holocaust? Well, clearly, everybody who looks at the Holocaust has two words, and those words are never again. It was so horrible. It was almost too difficult to describe. As a matter of fact, when the reporters went in there after World War, during World War II at the end, they said, I'm not sure that you're going to believe what I'm seeing. It was so horrible. So the message from the Holocaust is never again. That's exactly the same message that we come to. Never again. You know, it's a shocking description, the Holocaust. And there was an exact same situation which occurred, and it's found in Luke chapter 13, verses one through five, in which some very shocking news, think Holocaust, was presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanna read it for you. In verse one of Luke 13, it says, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. That's shocking that... Pilate had taken the blood of the Jewish people and mingled them together, the, the blood together with the sacrifices. That's shocking. And so it's like the Holocaust, but not quite, but I mean, it's very, very along, much along the same lines. Do you know what he said? He said in verse three, I tell you, no, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. He said, you think that's horrible? And it was. You think the Holocaust was horrible, and it was? There's a worst eternal Holocaust. There's a worse thing, he's saying, and it, it affects you. We're not just talking about the people who lived so many years ago during the Germans, the Nazi Germans. He's saying, I'm telling you, except ye repent ye shall walk likewise perish then perish then he said of or those 18 upon whom the tower of Siloam fell he said those 18 there were 18 people and the tower of Siloam fell that was horrible that was terrible and then he said again i tell you nay but except ye repent ye shall all likewise perish The message of the Holocaust is very simple. There is a worst Holocaust coming. It's called hell. There's a worse than the Holocaust, and it affects us, and it can affect us, and he says, come out. I'm your escape. I'm your tunnel. I'm your door, the Lord Jesus Christ says, and if you repent and turn to me, then you won't perish. But unless you repent and turn to me, the Lord Jesus Christ, with all your heart, you shall all likewise perish. That's the message of the Holocaust. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you join us again tomorrow for another exciting message from my father, Tom Cantor. Today's message, as well as previous messages, are available for download at friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us at 1-800-247-3051 for a copy of today's message.